Think of the process of vetting holistic remedies the way you think about vetting the things you were taught as part of your religion. The process is identical and it's a great way to train your brain to think rational, reasoned, and informed thoughts. Chakras are not a thing, neither is the chi. You do not need to align your chakras, irrigate your chi, or any of the other insanity that New Agers and other like-minded people would like you to think. And then you start looking at things like essential oils uh -huh. and Reiki mm -hmm. and things that mimic the sorts of things that you were taught right. that look about the same. You know, the Bible even says that if there's anyone sick among you, let them call upon the elders and be anointed with oil. Right. So you go from that to hearing about miracle cures associated with essential oils and inside your head, it makes sense. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And, and it's, it's time, time to get unbound. I don't know. I'm feeling really draggy tonight. Hmm. I mean, you saw it just yeah. a couple of minutes yeah, ago. Yeah, I did. Maybe my chakras are out of alignment. Maybe. Maybe I'll make some of that saffron tea and irrigate my chi. Or, you know, maybe I could, I don't know, go to bed a little bit earlier. Yeah, So that amazing. I'm not this exhausted when it's <laughs> time for us to sit down and record. There is that too. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And tonight we're talking about holistic remedies, therapies, and cures. How much of it is legit and how can you even tell? If it doesn't seem like much of an evangelical topic, keep listening. There are things that I think ex-evangelicals need to understand about all of this. But before we get into any of that, Kenneth Copeland trips out and the transformed wife just trips over human nature. It's Christians behaving badly. <laughs> Shell, what have you got for us this week? Well, this first story I want to call the sound of one goalpost being moved. Kenneth Copeland, one of the kings of Christian grift, has declared the COVID virus destroyed. Destroyed? Yes, amazing. A year after the first time he declared it destroyed. I guess the destruction just didn't stick. It was one of those 24-hour destructions. Apparently. Anyway, Copeland called into a service hosted by his daughter and her husband to tell them that, no, really, seriously, it's destroyed now. Really. Really? Really. And here's the evidence he gave for that. This morning as we prayed, just suddenly I saw a blanket of blood. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Yes. It rippled like it had a slight breeze on it. And I watched this blanket of blood. It was everywhere, particularly over the United States and over our partners everywhere. And then a golden layer, this golden aura and cloud, a golden cloud right on top of the blood. And then I realized that it came up out of the blood. And then I realized that it came up out of the blood and just stunningly beautiful. And then angels began to crisscross over the top of all that, and these golden rainbows came up out of that. That's, oh my goodness. That I, is a lot. I have words, but there's a little bit more here. Yes. And I saw the healing, the healing of lungs, and I knew in my spirit, and I said it out loud with my mouth, 
Our breakthrough has come, and glory to God, the destruction, the final takedown of the synthetic virus that has been made by men as a weapon has fallen. It's destroyed. I only have one question. Shrooms or acid? I don't know, and where can I get some? Because, no, this... I mean, you could read this in the book of Revelation. Yes. Think about it. It really does sound like something that St. John the Divine would have come up with out of that long, strange trip he took. Oh, yeah. And he was not breathing pure air either. Oh, I can guarantee that. I mean, there was was a definite pharmaceutical explanation for the book of Revelation. And I have my theories as to where this came from. It just sounds too much like something that you would see toward the end of the book yeah yeah definitely it's a lot but just the audacity of this whole notion that now it's just gone because this idiot says it's gone i know it's... and there are people out there right now tonight who believe this yes with who all believe... of their hearts because he said it yeah every single word out of his mouth just an apple of gold I, you know, I've said it so many times before on the show, but it just, it dumbfounds me that these are grown-ups. Yeah. That these are grown-up people, many of whom have lives, many of whom have jobs. Responsibilities. Yeah, I mean, he's in business. He's yeah. making money. You get money from somewhere. Now, granted, there are some that are getting it from other sources besides jobs. But you've right. got to understand, there's a good quorum of people who are sending this person money. Yeah. Who get up to an alarm every morning, they go to work, they have normal lives, and they think on a semi-rational level about a lot of things. And yet, they believe this implicitly and probably sent him more this week. Yeah, probably. I find it mind-blowing Yeah, that it's... there are grown-up adult people out there to whom not only this kind of shit appeals, yeah. but who believe it so implicitly that they will just continue throwing money at this guy like he's God himself, and it doesn't matter that he's wrong. Right. That's the no. real crazy part. It doesn't even matter that he's wrong. Nope. It doesn't matter a bit. And they'll tell you from the bottom of their hearts and with all the conviction that they can muster that he's right. Yes. And that, you know, not everything is as it seems. It may look like this thing is still in the world, but this guy said it's gone. So it's gone. Yeah. And we just have to believe that it's gone. Eventually it'll happen. Well, eventually, yeah. Yeah. But he's not saying eventually. He's saying saying it's gone. Yes. And that's a problem. Yeah, it is. That is a real problem for those of us who have a foot in reality. Yeah. Again, I've said it a bunch of times before on this show. I don't know what it will take to get some of these people to understand just how off all of this stuff is. I have to wonder what it would take. What is the single craziest thing? That one of these people could say that would open up some people's eyes and say, oh, my God, no, I can't believe I ever believed this in the first place. How crazy does it have to get? Because we've heard some crazy shit just in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I know. And it just keeps getting weirder. Weirder and weirder as time goes by. (laughs) But you know what? As long as it stays weird, we have a job. Yeah, pretty much. And I... Ask with trepidation what you have next, because <laughs> I've reviewed your notes and I know what's coming next. And just be prepared for a, a bunch of you've got to be kidding moments here, folks. Yeah, just there's, brace there's yourself. They're coming. There's a lot. Okay, this next one. 
super retro mommy shamer, the uh, transformed wife, Lori Alexander, who never seems to lack for ways to shame women, is now blaming mothers for their teen and older kids having sex outside of marriage, you know. Because of course she is. Of course. It doesn't just take two. It takes two plus their idiot parents, right? There you go. Mm Mm-hmm. Mrs. Alexander, who seems to have been born knowing exactly how to toe the line, says the following in a recent blog post called Working Mothers Make It Easy for Teenagers to Fornicate. Oh, okay. I see precisely where this is going. Oh, yes. Oh, man. So so much alarmist bullshit. Okay. Seriously. I'll shut up. You talk. Well, this is part of her post. When I was in high school in the mid-1970s, Most of my friends' mothers were in the workforce. Homes were left empty during the day. One of my church friends, the only other girl that was my age in the church, would tell me about her fornication exploits. She and her boyfriend would go to her home during lunch and fornicate. She had a number of abortions. No one was home since her mom worked outside of the home. It all seemed so unappealing to me, thankfully. This was not the life I ever wanted to live. Nor was it the life that anyone else was living. Yeah, right. Because this just has all of the earmarks of something made up to make a point. Yeah. I'll take things that never happened for 1,000. Oh, totally. I mean, it's not like this sort of thing never happens. I just don't think that it happened in this context with this this person. Right. Yeah. But, you know, isn't that special? course, Lori would never want to fornicate with a fellow boy that she found attractive. Not Lori. And can we stop saying fornicate? I know. It's like, who talks like that? No one talks. No. Like, okay, well, well, this person. This person. This person does. talks like that. But it, it reminds me of Marty McFly's mother back in the beginning of Back to the Future. And she's like, I would never call a boy or be seen out with a boy or... And then you find out. in a out, parked car with a boy. And of course, you know, not even two hours later. You find out. <laughs> you find out she's, she's, she kind of wants to fuck her own kid. Which yeah, is right? kind of is, odd. Ugh. But she doesn't know. Yeah. We'll give her a hall pass on that one. <laughs> it's still one of the best movies ever made as far as I'm concerned. So, But yeah. You know, you got to wonder what she was really like. Was really like. Was really like. <laughs> And here would be a great time to insert a flashback. Unfortunately, this is reality, so we can't do that. I'm not so sure Mrs. Laurie lives in reality either. She expects all women everywhere to only aspire to motherhood, to never let up on the controls over their children unless their husbands want to, of course, and also to never leave the house, apparently. She seems to think that will stop teenagers from having sex. It won't. No kidding. Well, she goes on. Yes, teenagers can have sex in cars, but it's far more comfortable and easier for them to have it in their own homes and in their own beds. When mothers aren't home, it's too easy for them to fornicate. When a mother is home full-time, it's impossible for them to do this if the mother is a godly woman who would never allow their teenagers to do this. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Teenagers, for the most part, aren't thinking about comfort at that point. Where are you getting your information? It's not the 70s anymore. You know, can I interject something on this point just real quick? Oh, two things. Number one, it doesn't matter if the parents are home. No. Uh, My girlfriend and I got some things accomplished at both my house and hers when I was in high school. We accomplish things Mm. because where there's a will, there's a way. 
Yeah. There is, there's, it's just that simple. And no, comfort is not usually part of the equation. Yeah. It's just opportunity. That's, yeah, that's, that's it. what it is. It's my high school, my high school had, uh, practice rooms right off of the band hall oh yeah those practice rooms now i've told you about this right yeah now one of the, the one of the wonderful things about these practice rooms is that they actually locked from the inside mm. and the whole point of that was apparently so that if you were in there practicing you weren't going to be disturbed well mm. let's just say that it was a regular occurrence for teenage boys and girls to be practicing together in a these uh, in mm. these rooms, and even to the point where now you got to figure this is like the mid nineteen eighties, people thought a little bit differently about certain things back yeah. then. But I've even heard tell of people being walked in on by custodians who entered the room to clean, saw there were people in there. The only response at that point is, "Oh, excuse me," boom, and there's the door closed again. Um, <laughs> That's the way we rolled in 1987, okay? Yeah. And it really didn't matter that the only thing that was in there was an upright piano and a couple of benches. Shit got done. Yeah. So you put horny teenagers together, they're going to figure shit out. Right. It doesn't matter. They don't need a bed. They don't need to wait until nobody is home. No. That's not even part of the equation. I can tell you as an experienced no. teenage person, it's not part of the equation, like, at all. It's like any other crime. You have the means, you have the motive, and you have the opportunity. Oh, totally. Do all three things match up, and you are good to go. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And let me tell you, even though I think that there's been a real shift in the way people think or in their ability to think, trust me when I tell you, human nature has not changed that much. No. Um these kids are still every bit as ingenious mm. when it comes to getting away with this as they've ever been. Yeah. I oh, yeah. promise you, Please. it's still a priority. Yeah. She goes on in her post to advise that boys should grow up on farms and girls should be taught all the homemaking, all of it. And that will keep them busy and not think about sex? Yeah, good luck with that. Right. I have so many questions. But the biggest one is, how do you manage to keep this fiction alive in your life? It's called denial. Denial. It's not just a river in Egypt. And My kids aren't going to think about sex if I just stay home. Yeah, right. I'm like, I'm sorry. But I am willing to wager that all of her kids, or at least... One or two. I don't know how many kids she has. They're all grown, but I'll bet you anything that at least some of those kids have had premarital sex, either with their current wives or with somebody completely different, and it she never knew. Oh, no. I, I think that it's practically a given yeah. because when you make it out to be this forbidden fruit, yeah. this thing that is just, it's so taboo. It's so sinful. Yeah. You know, it's like, don't eat the fruit from the tree I tell you not to eat. <laughs> or don't touch the hot stove. We've yeah. talked about this one numerous times on the yes. show. You tell a toddler, don't touch the hot stove, they're going to touch the stove. Mm. You tell a teenage boy, don't touch the hot girl, and <laughs> even if it wasn't a thought in his head before, oh, it is now. It is now. <laughs> it totally is now, and it's going to happen. Yeah. And... Like I said a minute ago, where there's a will, there's a way. 
it will get done. If there's a parent in that house 24-7, it will get done. Right. It doesn't matter. Opportunities will be found. They will figure it out. Yes. And it will get done. And I guarantee you that some of these kids have had at least sexual experiences, if not sexual intercourse, certainly sexual experiences. Of course. Because it's just part of the normal course of things. I would be hard-pressed to find a single one of my friends, even. And I had a lot of devout young Christian friends. Yeah. But I would be hard-pressed to find just one of my friends back then that didn't have some kind of sexual experience before they were married. Right. It's like We all did. Yeah. It's like life finds a way, and so do horny teenagers. Oh, totally. Especially... Especially yeah. horny teenagers. Really? Oh, they're ingenious as fuck when it comes to stuff that they want. And mm-hmm. especially when it comes to that. Yeah. Yeah, true. You know, sometimes I can find a good segue out of this segment into the next. <laughs> but in this instance, it's kind of difficult yeah. trying to get past the notion of the practice rooms now. So we're going to just sort of leave that story where it is. Yeah, let's leave it. And we're just going to cap it off with, you know, boys will be boys, girls will be girls. And when they get together, they're going to do shit. That's that's just the way that it is. And on that happy note, just want to let you know that our Patreon is active at patreon.com slash unbound podcast network. Five dollars a month is all it takes to uh, get yourself early access to all of our content And the more patrons we amass, the more good stuff we're going to be able to offer. So if you have the means, please at least consider supporting us. Patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network is where you're going to go to make your pledge. And if you just don't have the money to spare, that's fine too. Again, just like we say every week, tell someone new about us this week. Get what you need from the content and share it out wherever you can. Tell people about it and just make sure that that the people who need to hear it are hearing it or that you at least let them know that we're out there. That's how podcasts get spread. And that's how you can help us every bit as much as sending us money. So I'm going to leave it short and sweet and get right into our main topic. So let's talk about holistic medicine and whether or not any of it is worth the money, the gamble, or even the attention According to a survey conducted by the American Society of Clinical Oncology, almost 40% of Americans believe that cancer can be cured, cured via alternative therapies alone. Of course, these are also the patients who die in the largest numbers. That is a staggering statistic as far as I'm concerned. That's almost half of the people out there think that they can eat some root or something, and it's going to cure their cancer. Cure. Not just augment Mm -hmm. the effects of chemo, but this alone will cure me. And they get convinced with no evidence, with absolutely no peer-reviewed anything. Yeah. They become convinced that this holistic remedy that they are opting for is going to be the thing that saves them. And they opt out of things like chemo and just do this. And it spans way beyond cancer, but that's just the example that we're working with right now. There are many reasons why this is alarming, but the most alarming part of it, as far as I'm concerned, is that people believe that all kinds of things that can kill you, from cancer 
to some bacterial infections and more can be cured this way through nothing but holistic means. Now, I think the question on some people's minds right now is why cover this subject on a podcast for ex-evangelicals? Well, I'm doing it for a couple of reasons. As evangelical Christians, we are all taught to believe wildly improbable things about healing. You know, healing is framed for us in the context of miracles a lot of times. Healing is not something that the average evangelical thinks of as happening over time. They think of it as something that is instantaneous because it's the will of God. So if you pray over someone, if you anoint them with oil, if you lay hands on them, if you do all of the things that are common to what you see in your average evangelical church, these things are going to have immediate and measurable results. So we are not taught to think about healing as a process. We're taught to think about healing as something that is instantaneous. Right. And that's problematic right there. We're also taught as evangelicals to literally be afraid of science. Yeah. They teach you to fear science. They vilify it to the point where it starts looking like traditional medicine is the actual enemy. Right. And they really do drive that home. They won't tell someone not to have surgery because there are legal ramifications for that. But I knew plenty of evangelicals at the time who would at least be bold enough to passively, aggressively decry anything besides putting your faith in God. Yeah. Which, again, very problematic. Another problem is that we are told that holistic and metaphysical remedies were of the devil. And... Let's get back to the whole hot stove analogy. Now you're out and you start wondering, well, gee, was this really all that bad? Is this something that's actually bad? Probably not if these people said that it was. Right. It might actually be something beneficial to me because, well, they lied to me about everything else. Mm. So these things probably do work and they're probably worth looking into. They just didn't want me looking into them then because they wanted me to solve all of my problems with prayer. And in certain contexts, that's correct. But in the context of non-traditional medicine, you know, you can be right for the wrong reasons. Yeah. So there is that. We were also taught that healing is every bit as spiritual as it is physical. And then we grow up and understand that spiritual is just a fairy tale concept. We are physical beings. We live in a physical universe. We have physical bodies that have physical problems. And there's nothing going on inside us anywhere that can be solved with a spiritual solution. And all of those points are problematic for a number of reasons. As Christians, we also learn to think unrealistically about healing in other ways. We were taught that things like laying on hands and anointing with oil and fervent, effectual prayer were things that could help. And then you start looking at things like essential oils Uh and Reiki Mm. and things that mimic the sorts of things that you were taught that look about the same. You know, the Bible even says that if there's anyone sick among you, let them call upon the elders and be anointed with oil. Right. So... You go from that 
to hearing about miracle cures associated with essential oils, and inside your head it makes sense. Same thing with Reiki, because one of the major draws to Reiki for me was the laying on of hands aspect Mm -hmm. of it. It's like, I've been doing this for years. Now I've just found a good way to channel it. Right. You know, that was the way I looked at it when we made our switch into Wicca. We also got used to attributing healing to God. I just went into this a little bit a second ago, but it's always God. It's not the scientists, the doctors, or the pharmaceutical professionals that develop treatments, perform surgeries, or provide medicine. It all begins and ends with God. Mm -hmm. So that's problematic too. We've been conditioned to steer our thoughts away from traditional cures and the notion of people being behind all of it. Right. So that's another at least slight problem that goes along with this. And also for some of us, the whole process, the whole thought process of evangelical faith made us distrustful of doctors. Yeah. Because if science is bad, then that means that traditional medicine by and large, is bad or at least unnecessary. Right. And what the doctors are telling us we need, well, maybe God has other plans. You should definitely pray first and seek your healing that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, for legal reasons, no one is going to come right out and say this to you, right. but the attitude was there in a lot of instances. It didn't have to be said. Right. The attitude was there. Maybe not from our pastors. I think a lot of times the pastors of these churches know a little bit better than to come right out and say shit like this. Not always. I mean, let's look at what's going on with COVID. But, you know, by and large, I think a lot of them understand that they have to cover their legal asses just a little bit. Yeah. And so it's more of the person sitting in the pew next to you that's going to give you flack for doing certain things. I remember when we talked about hypnosis and that lady at the party at my mother's house. Yeah. Talking about how she felt that I was doing something wrong or sinful because hypnosis wasn't quote unquote Christian. Uh Well, there was somebody who just had the gumption to come right out and say it. She was also crazier than a shithouse rat. Mm. So there was that. So let's talk for a couple of minutes about the different kinds of holistic therapies that are out there. There are two general areas of holistic medicine alternative and complementary. Now, complementary methods are used in conjunction with traditional treatments, which, you know, I honestly don't see the harm in most of the time, although there are holistic treatments that can fuck with chemotherapy and other Mm -hmm. things. But by and large, most of this stuff is nothing but placebo anyway. Right. And we'll get into that concept a little bit later. But You know, just I think pretty much everybody out there knows what a placebo is. And that's more what these things do. They provide a little bit more of a cushion of confidence. Right. That what you're doing is going to help you and it's going to work. And it also gives your brain something else to think about. Um, Let's just put it out there. You go in for a Reiki session and the atmosphere Mm -hmm. is very, it's aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. And we talked a little bit, just, you know, a couple of lines last week about how things like artistic therapy mm-hmm. can be helpful in terms of the healing process. So in some small way, laying there on that table yeah. and having someone perform Reiki on you can have psychological effects 
but certainly not physical effects toward healing or recovery. Yeah, I know that when I went in for my Reiki session, everything was geared towards giving me whatever I wanted at that time. Yeah. And it was really easy to fall into a state of altered consciousness where you're just sort of meditating so much that you're almost, it's almost like you're dreaming. Yeah. But it kind of also feels real. Yes. But it's all coming out of your own head. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it all comes out of your own head. Right. It's just, it can't come from any place else. Yeah, it's just all very conducive to facilitating that. Yes. And it does make you feel better. It makes but, you feel better. Right. But, but here's it's the not thing, just like you. we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it makes you feel better. Right. But it doesn't make you better. Right. That's no. the that's the the difference right there. And yeah. it's significant. That difference Definitely. is significant. So yeah, these methods can help you feel better when used in conjunction with standard treatments, but using anything besides prescribed medicines should be run by your primary care or whatever specialist is managing your conditions, your condition or conditions. Um, that's very, very important. Yeah, you know, I don't definitely. feel like I need to disclaim this. I think that it's been made abundantly crystal clear what I think about this. But just in case anyone needs to hear it from another source, talk to your doctor. Please. About Anything that you use in conjunction with medicines, treatments, or therapies that have been prescribed for you, right? definitely talk to your doctor before you do anything else. Because like I said a minute ago, there are things that can fuck with other treatments. And you don't want to inadvertently make your situation worse mm. in your effort to make it better. And in the vein of making things worse as opposed to making them better... The other half of this is alternative methods. Now, these are particularly dangerous because they're used to replace traditional medicines and treatments and can be extremely dangerous for that very reason. Right. People sometimes delay or outright cancel vital treatments like chemo and dialysis as a means of, quote, seeing if this works. Yeah. And that's incredibly dangerous. Worse still, many give alternative medicines way too many chances before conceding the necessity of traditional, tested, and proven effective treatments. When we're dealing with the general population, I'm not sure where these fears of actual treatments come from, because this is far from just an evangelical thing. No. There are plenty of people out there that will set aside proven traditional treatment methods for holistic methods. These two are not mutual exclusives. You don't have to have had this stuff crammed into your head to forsake traditional treatments. Mm. But I also know that outside of any kind of church setting, it was also instilled in me that at the end of the day, chemo is basically poison. Yeah. You're poisoning yourself just enough to kill the thing that's killing you without killing you along with it. Right. And there's a lot of truth to that. But that's true of pretty much every medicine out right. there. So that's true yes. if you take Tylenol. It's true if you take any kind of over-the-counter anything. It all exists to shut down various systems in the body so that you don't feel bad anymore. When you take Tylenol for a headache and the headache, quote-unquote, goes away, no, the headache is still there and is going to run its course. Yeah. It's just that now you've turned off certain receptors that are telling you that you're in pain so that it has time to run its course without bothering you. Right. That's what it boils down to. It's not curing the headache. 
And it's the same thing with a lot of these holistic remedies. A lot of these supplements, a lot of these herbs and all the ways that you can put these things together to get a specific result. Well, right. what what is pharmacology? It's basically the same thing, figuring out how certain chemicals work together and the effects that they have on the body. So every single time you put something in your body, whether it's something that you grew in your garden or something that you picked up at the pharmacy, it serves the same purpose. The difference is what you pick up at the pharmacy has documentation right. and study and development behind it that the stuff that you grew in your garden with miracle Grow doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's that simple. And especially if you're using chemicals like miracle Grow, because guess what? Now that's part of your medicine. Yeah. And that could be very problematic. So there is this whole movement of people growing their own stuff for this purpose, too, and for very specific purposes. And, you know, are you doing it the way that a pharmaceutical company would do it to be able to produce what they need to make right. the medicine? And the answer to that question is almost uniformly no. Right. And that is also um, very, very problematic. Now, both alternative and complementary therapies appeal to those who are mind-body oriented and those who like the idea of natural remedies. Who doesn't like the idea of a natural remedy? Right. It's a nice idea. Right. But here's the thing. Most medicines are derived from things that occur in nature in the first place. Pretty much what I said a minute ago. Right. Um, the problem is that even in 2021, the concept of snake oil cures is still a thing. Just ask Jim Baker and ask anyone who raided stores for quinine water in the early weeks of COVID. Right. And there are loads of products and treatments that flat out don't do what they are said to do. Worse, they haven't been subject to any kind of scientific testing or peer review. In the worst of cases, some alternative slash complementary therapies could be downright dangerous and even life-threatening for what they do, let alone what they fail to cure. Some, the American Cancer Society warns, can also interfere with vital treatments like chemotherapy and have adverse effects on how well traditional treatments work. Now, I have a beef with the American Cancer Society when it comes to the advice they give because for a secular organization, they seem a little too quick to mm -hmm. recommend a couple of these. They recommend things like acupuncture, which I did a little bit of digging on, and there are different opinions about it. Right. But you know, there are enough scientific medical bodies that will endorse it as at least being as good as Tylenol, basically, and not being specifically harmful. Right. But not being a cure either. But the American Cancer Society wants you to think about it. Um, Arter music therapy. And it makes sense. It definitely yeah. makes sense. There's a soothing aspect to the whole thing of of hearing music certain kinds of music right or the visual stimulation that you get from certain types of art so yes i can see it again being about as effective as tylenol getting your mind mm -hmm. off of the actual problem or at least being able to create a buffer for some of the stress right. so i can see that being at least surface beneficial biofeedback you know i this, yeah. this is where we start moving into a weird area as far as I'm concerned. And biofeedback, for anyone who doesn't know what this is, this is how they describe it. It uses monitoring devices 
to help people gain conscious control over physical processes that are usually controlled automatically, such as heart rate, blood pressure, temperature, sweating, and muscle tension. I think it's better if we don't have direct access and control over these things. Our body knows how to do it better than we do. So I think that I'd rather leave that to my body to figure out. Then they talk about massage therapy, but then they also recommend prayer and spiritual disciplines, and they recommend things like Tai Chi and yoga. Um, Sorry, but things like biofeedback are straight up woo-rific pseudoscience and um, prayer, really? The only two things that I like here are massage and Tai Chi, since massage is in fact a legit physical therapy, And Tai Chi, at the end of the day, is good exercise that helps your body feel better. Just leave out all the wooey parts of that, Mm -hmm. because there are many. Yeah. And, I mean, let's, I'll go right on record. I can state as unequivocal fact that none of us has a chi. (laughs) None of us have achieved a chi. (laughs) Nope. Beyond that, though, I'm a little disappointed, but... I keep reminding myself that the American Cancer Society is, in fact, a support system and a charity, not a scientific body. And I'm sure it has a huge quorum of theists and spiritualists who have, at some point, provided anecdotal evidence of all kinds of holistic treatments working on all kinds of ailments to one extent or another. So you're not looking at a medical source when you're looking at the American Cancer Society. Let's just make sure that we understand that. This is not a scientific body recommending that you pray. And just to be fair, and as an example of how varied the results for some holistic treatments can be, I'm going to take just a couple minutes and talk about a couple things I've experienced as they relate to two little drugs called THC and CBD. Hmm. There's controversy around this. And now that I'm not as immersed in it as I used to be, you see, isn't it amazing how this works? Yeah. How you start looking at things with different eyes when you're not around it all the time. When we first started doing this show, I worked at a medical marijuana dispensary that morphed into a medical and recreational dispensary. And um, the shit hit the fan with that around the time that COVID started becoming a real major thing. And I am no longer in that industry. And taking a step back, I'm not going to say that I denounce everything that I did or that it doesn't work or anything like that, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of my experience with this and show you how to think healthily about holistic treatments. You see, there was a time when I believed so much in medical marijuana that I literally dropped everything and went to work in this place because I believed in it so much and I thought that it was something that I could do with my life that was going to help people, that was going Mm -hmm. to make sick people well. I really believed this and I had specific reasons for believing it. I even went to a for-profit trade school out in the eastern part of the state to learn a little bit more about the industry and how to, you know, growing methods and stuff like that. I learned quite a bit through that process. I don't think that it was a complete waste of time. The school is no longer there and there are reasons for that. But I mean, I knew that it wasn't going to be the equivalent of a, of a college education. I knew that, but I wanted more knowledge for myself. And I also wanted to be useful Mm -hmm. if I was going to insert into that industry. So I went and learned from some people who knew more than I did. I'm not a huge fan of for-profit schools, 
but this seemed like a good idea just from the standpoint of I can help people better if I understand this more. So I did. I went and learned a little bit more, did actually pretty well, better than average in terms of the students that were there, and went out and got a job at a dispensary. And once I started working in that industry, it became apparent to me that loads of medical marijuana patients are actually recreational users. In fact, I think that that applies to the majority. There are very few people out there who have, who have what I would consider to be legitimate reasons, legitimate medical reasons to have that card. And I don't know what it's like everywhere, but I can tell you that in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, the medical marijuana program is really nothing more than an elite club for white people with money. <laughs> yeah. That's, that is pretty much what it is because you have two sides to the industry in the state. You've got the medical side and you've got the recreational side. And the medical side has a number of perks. You get your product tax-free. You go to the front of the line at every dispensary. You can take part in sales and specials, which none of those things apply on the recreational side. But the other side of that is that you have to recertify every year, which means that you're paying a doctor every single year to say, yep, you can keep doing this. And then you're not you're actually not paying the state anymore. This is actually good news. We're not paying for our cards every year anymore. They just show up once we get recertified. But it's just a matter of do you have one hundred and fifty dollars a year to give to a doctor to give you a new certification for this? And. I mean, it really is nothing more than a cash grab. Yeah. And I know of no one, and I mean no one, who has gone for a medical marijuana card who has been turned down. Yeah. And that's not just here. I know that it's true in Maine also. Maine takes it a step further and puts a prescriber right there in the dispensary Mm. so that you don't even have to show up with a medical card. You can show up without it get certified right then and there and make your first purchase. And I have never heard of anyone being turned away in the state of Maine either. So medical marijuana is basically a white people's club more than anything else. Not that we didn't have minority patients, not that there weren't some, but let me tell you that dispensary was the single whitest workplace I ever worked in. And it had probably the whitest clientele that I've seen anywhere. So the whole notion of medical marijuana, anyone can get a medical card. You can walk in and say, I have an itchy earlobe. They'll figure out a way to assign you some kind of ailment or some kind of condition that you need this Mm. to make your earlobe not itch. I mean, it's it's an extreme and very caricaturish example. Yeah. But. It's not that far off. No, it's really not. I have, you know, it's one of those things that really makes you wonder whether or not it's effective. But everybody's physiology is different. And these medicines may help some people and they may help some more than others. You know, for me, I can't say what else it could have been that made the pain in that ankle go down as much as it did. Yeah. When I first started using weed, It took about three weeks of having regular access to it. This was after I got my medical card. About three weeks of regular access and regular use. And the pain in my ankle that absolutely nothing else would take away, even wearing a brace, even losing 200 pounds, these things did nothing 
okay? Did nothing for the pain. And then three weeks in, all of a sudden, I'm realizing that I'm taking a lot more steps without pain. Yes. And I can think of nothing else that changed and has been consistently different since that time. So for me, as an individual, um, using nothing but anecdotal evidence, I can tell you that it works for me. I can tell you THC as a drug works for me to keep the arthritis pretty well at bay most of the time. As for CBD, you know, I've had good results with that too for various things. It's, as far as I can tell, it's a good sleep aid. And I know people who say that it helps them mellow out when they're having depressed episodes. Mm -hmm. Doesn't really help my depression that much, but I have seen the physical end of it where, you know, it is at least as effective as Tylenol. I'll right. we'll just put it out there. It's about the same effectiveness as something that you would get over the counter. It's just that I feel like it's a little bit less harsh yeah. on my body. And a little more targeted. A little bit more. Maybe. A little bit more. But, you know, there are people out there that completely reject it. You ask anybody from uh, Puzzle in a Thunderstorm, mm. the, uh, the Gamcast guys... Scathing Atheist, those mm-hmm. podcasts, yeah. um, these people have no love for CBD. But if I could make a little bit of an appeal to them, I would say, you know what? Have you only used commercial CBD products? Because the stuff that I use, I make. It yeah. comes from real hemp. I make tincture from real hemp. And I take that tincture and I make gummies out of it. And for me, it works. Yeah. And again, it's just anecdotal evidence. It's one person. It works with my physiology. It works with my body chemistry. And I'm sure that that's true of other people. I heard some success stories come out of that dispensary, but really not a lot. And that was the thing. The people who were suffering from serious things like cancer were suffering until we stopped seeing them, until they, they just stopped coming in. And there are plenty of people out there who work in this industry and advocate for medical marijuana, who will also say, well, you know what? Maybe it's not a cure, but it can do a good number on the pain. And for patients that it doesn't do a good number on the pain, it can at least help them not care that they're in pain. Yeah. So there is that. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that. But if that's all that it's doing, then there are traditional medicines that do a better job of both. You know, why would I still want to be in pain and just off in oblivion when another drug can take the pain away and not have me sitting there thinking about my mortality? Yeah. Understanding that this is something that is going to kill me. You know, I think that it's good to have a means of escape from those kinds of thoughts. I'm just not 100% certain that just bombarding your brain with marijuana as opposed to something else that has more clinical evidence behind it would actually be. I'm not saying don't use medical marijuana. I still do because mm-hmm. I see I see decent results. But even I will go on record and say that most of the reason why I use it is because I like the way it makes me feel. So in that regard, it pretty much makes me more of a recreational user with the serendipitous side effect that it actually does something good for me physically because it's not going to do the same thing for everybody. And that's just that. I mean, could it be nothing more than a placebo effect with the arthritis? It could be, but that's a pretty profound and long-term 
effect. The arthritis is still there. It still flares. Unfortunately, it decided to flare when we went away a few weeks ago. Yeah. And that kind of sucked. It kind of put a damper on things. I couldn't walk that much. Yeah. It does still flare. It's just that the flare-ups don't last anywhere near as long as they used to. It just sucked that it happened at that time. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line for me with all of this, with medical marijuana and CBD and everything associated with cannabis and hemp and everything in that spectrum, is that we need to learn more about the science of these drugs. And fortunately, legalization is making it possible for research to happen. Right. So once we know more, we can start pinpointing better what these things actually help with if they do anything at all for a large segment of the population. But let me tell you, when people came into that dispensary, I could tell the ones that were using it for medical purposes and the ones that were just using the fact that they could afford 200 bucks a year to get the good stuff and not pay tax on it. Then you could always tell. And you know, sometimes they even let it slip that they were buying for other people and we were supposed to not dispense, but money talks and bullshit walks, so we always dispensed. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was one of those situations. But we're in a good position at this point with legalization becoming more widespread to learn more about it. Now, my question is, when we know more about it, are we still going to hand out medical cards like Monopoly money? Right. That to me is is going to be the real litmus test of whether or not we even give a fuck if it does anything on a medical level mm-hmm. you know you yeah. can call it medical marijuana all you want but i know what i saw i know the people that i dealt with yeah and i know that a lot of them were not using it for medicinal purposes beyond getting high mm-hmm. and we were even encouraged when people complained about the prices on the rec side we were instructed to encourage these people to go for medical cards. Yeah. And that way you save on the tax. And we had this whole list of benefits. And it was never even a question in anyone's mind if they had any kind of an ailment. It wasn't that they were asking medical questions. It was that they were complaining about prices. Oh, yeah. you don't like the price? Well, then become a medical patient. It's easy. And yeah, it is way too easy. At least it is here. And I know that it is in Maine. It just, it's nothing but a big game. And very, very little beyond that. Yeah. So for some of us, we see some real benefits. Most just want to get high. Mm. And that's fine too. As far as I'm concerned, that's fine. But don't make more of it than there is to be made, if that's it. Yeah. I know that one of the things that bothered me when we first started moving in this particular community was that uh, I know one of the people at the festival that we went to was listing off all of the things that marijuana could do. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it can cure this and that, and it can help with this and that. And it's like everything. And he sounded like a snake oil salesman. Yes. And it's like, okay, this is not a cure-all. And one of the um, podcasts I listened to, uh, Sawbones, they always say, cure-alls, cure nothing. Yeah. And in most of history, that has been true. Yes. Like blue light therapy and mercury taken as an internal uh, medicine yeah. and silver solution. They don't do anything. No. And more often than not, they will poison you or turn your skin blue. Yeah, I was going to say, they have certain physical 
evidences that they're yes. in there and doing something. The question is, is what they're doing any good? Yeah. Does it even matter? And is it harmful? Right. Because sometimes the answer is yes. Like with mercury. Oh, yeah. That's not good. You know, when I look at this in terms of other things like acupuncture, I don't know of anyone who does recreational acupuncture. Okay, I don't know <laughs> anyone who does this for fun. Most of the people who use acupuncture, at least at a bare minimum, have legit medical issues that they're trying to address with it and have been sent to an acupuncturist by a doctor who has at least heard enough anecdotal evidence to say that it works for this thing or it can alleviate symptoms of this thing to be able to, in good conscience, recommend it to their patients. With medical marijuana, it's so all over the map, right. just like with that guy saying it cures everything. Yeah. It's so all over the map that, you know, in Massachusetts and in other states too, most doctors don't want to touch medical marijuana certification with a 10 meter right. cattle prod. That's why you have to go to a special doctor mm. who doesn't take your insurance and pay that doctor 150 bucks to put his reputation on the line for you to have this stuff. Yeah. That's the difference between medical marijuana and acupuncture. Whether or not they're equally effective in terms of what you're using it for, yeah. that remains to be seen because there's also not a whole lot of hard science behind acupuncture. No. But there is more than there is for medical marijuana. Right and now, that's yeah. significant. So let's steer a little bit away from the medical marijuana part of this. This is That's the one that I know. And I like to talk about what I know. But let's steer away from that specific area of holistic healing and talk about why people use alternative and complementary therapies. This actually, I love talking about the psychology of things on this show. Mm -hmm. And this information comes from an article on psychology today. And the link is in the show notes. But people turn to alternative therapies for a number of reasons. They may have had a bad experience with traditional medicine. You know, you can count me in with that. Yeah. I, you know, I was in and out of hospitals for pretty much my entire childhood. And I became pretty distrustful yeah. because there were things that happened when I was in the hospital that to this day leave me scratching my head. I got traumatized to needles during one of those hospital stays by a very well-meaning medical student who just could not figure out how to start an IV. Oh. And I got myself traumatized to needles, being poked and jabbed I don't know how many times, and then having a clot develop over yeah. that. So, yeah, there were, there were issues. And so, you know, there, there were little things like that throughout my childhood that have kind of stuck in my head and have made me a little bit distrustful of the entire medical process. To this day, you know, it's like, I'm, it's, it's good that I'm as healthy as I am. Yeah. I'm not on any prescription meds. I'm going to be 50 in November, and I'm not on any prescription meds. So it's a good thing for me because if I had to spend the amount of time in and out of doctor's offices that you do, mm. I don't know how well I would deal with it. Yeah, and I, I hope that I never reach that point. But eventually I probably will. And that's when I have to face down some of those demons, but mm -hmm. not today. Not today. Um, another reason why people turn to these methods is that personal experience strongly suggests they work. This was the case with me in medical marijuana. And this little anecdote that they list with that bullet point kind of puts a cap on it. 
when my wife was pregnant with our son, this is from the article, this I'm not talking about Shell. Um, this is the anecdote from the article. When my wife was pregnant with our son and feeling intense nausea, I tried applying pressure to her wrist at a standard acupressure site and was astounded to hear her say repeatedly, the nausea vanished when I pressed and returned when I released. So I've heard things about acupressure too. Mm. I have an uncle who has been a massage therapist for years and years. And I can remember at one point having really, really bad hiccups and him doing some kind of acupressure something or other. And voila, the hiccups stopped. Now, there's still no ironclad cure for hiccups. And the other thing that sticks in my mind about that is that most hiccups are going to stop after about two to four minutes anyway. Right. So by the time you get around to trying any kind of cure for hiccups, they're probably going to stop on their own. Yeah. So it was probably nothing more than coincidence that when he pinched my hand, it stopped. They probably stopped because they were done, not because anybody pinched my hand. But I have heard stuff like this before. I don't completely discount it. I want to see more hard data. That's really what it boils down to. And lastly, the last thing that they cite here for people turning to alternative remedies is that they feel like traditional medicine at that point in their life, in their experience of whatever disease it is that they're trying to fight, has nothing more to offer. So you don't feel better on chemo. As a matter of fact, you usually feel a thousand times worse. And that's why a lot of times when people get cancer, they go through chemo, they go through hell with it, and then the cancer comes back and they decide that dying of cancer is probably going to be preferred to going through that hell again. Mm. So at that point, people who are in that frame of mind are likely to try a more holistic type of remedy because it promises to not have the same side effects, which is usually erroneous. A lot of times you can't predict the side effects because it's all very personal and geared more toward your physiology and your body chemistry. But they hear that it's less harsh on your body to do this than it is to go through chemo again. So understanding that they are terminal or that this will just keep happening over and over and over again, and they don't want to go through this hell over and over and over again, they try something else because they figure at this point, what do I have to lose? Yeah. And you know, I can I can certainly see that. I could see myself making that kind of a choice if I knew that I was terminal and there was this Hail Mary out there that I could try. Either I'm going to die anyway or it's going to cure me or it's going to give me a little bit more time. Right. And in any event, if it's not going to kill me outright, if, if the treatment itself is not going to kill me outright, then why not? Yeah. And at that point, you know, I, I would agree. Why not? If you're at the end of what medicine can do for you, then at least it gives your brain the sense of doing something. And sometimes that's enough to alleviate the stress long enough to be able to enjoy those last couple of weeks or couple of months or whatever you have left. So it's not always an inherently bad or negative or harmful thing. But turning to it as a first resort often is devastating. Yeah. So there's, there's that to keep in mind. Now, that's people in general. What about evangelicals? We were told that holistic remedies were bad. And I, I heard all kinds, oh, yeah. of, all kinds of bad things mm-hmm. about 
every kind of holistic remedy there is out there. And now that we're out of this and thinking for ourselves, from a psychological standpoint, we want to see for ourselves. Yeah. Like I was talking about in the beginning, the hot stove, we want to see for ourselves now whether or not our pastors were lying to us and just wanted to keep us under control and this stuff might actually work. Right. So there's that aspect. These holistic remedies also feed the need to exercise faith. Mm-hmm. We can't put our faith in this God anymore, but our brains are wired to have faith in things. So we place our faith in this healing method that has no science behind it, but has a lot of good anecdotal evidence, whether it's true or not, we don't know. Because you know what, as a professional copywriter, I was asked more than once to write fake testimonials. Yeah. I would never accept money to do that because I just had a little bit too much of an ethic behind what I did, but Mm -hmm. it happened more than once where I was approached by clients wanting me to write reviews of things or to write testimonials about things that I hadn't tried, that I hadn't seen, that I hadn't touched, and it never sat right with me. But again, money talks and bullshit walks. So I'm certain that you can find someone out there who's willing to use their voice for this, knowing full well that they're lying through their teeth. It's a thing that happens. So it's hard to know who to trust. And then... There's the element of magic and mysticism. There's a mystical quality to a lot of this stuff, especially when you get into the realm of things like energy healing and trying to cure your tumor with Reiki, that kind of thing. But we've been, again, taught to think of healing as something that is metaphysical. Even in evangelical circles, we are taught that healing is a metaphysical thing. So we walk away from that, but our brains still latch onto these concepts because whether they realize it or not, they taught us to believe in Reiki. The instant they taught us to lay hands on people, to heal them, they taught us that Reiki was legit. Hmm. They didn't realize it, but that's what they did. So that's the other side of the psychological equation. Now, I brought up the concept of placebos just a little while ago. So I want to just delve into this a little bit more. I think everyone out there knows what a placebo is. It's basically a pill or some kind of treatment that has no real medicine in it. And placebos are used in clinical trials for a lot of different drugs because they have various groups that they deal with. They have their control group. They have the group that gets the actual medicine. And then they have the group that gets a placebo. Then they compare, you know, does this medicine actually do something good? Does it do something measurable that the placebo doesn't? Because, you know, our brains are very complex. And even when you take a placebo, sometimes it can make things better, at least temporarily. It can make things better. And medicine has known this for a long time. Placebos can have short-term effects on a variety of ailments and symptoms. Things like depression chronic pain, sleep disorders, even things like irritable bowel syndrome and menopause have had recent studies that show that placebos can actually change your physiology, at least temporarily, and provide relief for certain things, but not cures. They haven't found a placebo yet that can cure something, but they've found plenty that can actually alter your physiology just enough 
with your brain and the chemicals that your brain tells your body to produce, it can alter things at least temporarily and make you feel better. But again, big difference between feeling better and being better. Yeah. And there isn't a placebo out there that can make you better, but there are plenty that can make you feel better. The same principle also applies to things like Reiki, Shambhala, crystal healing, and other quote-unquote energy healing methods. In short, if the person thinks it will help, it is often perceived to have a positive effect. I had the same experience with Reiki. I've talked about it before on this show. I had Reiki done for my arthritis and literally went for weeks without pain. Yeah. And I think that it had everything to do with the fact that I believed that it was going to work and that joint was more relaxed as a result. And the lessening tension by the day at that point, because I was losing weight rapidly. Right. The lessening tension on that joint, plus the fact that I felt relieved that I did something proactive Mm -hmm. to help make this better, did make it feel better for a while. Right. But the... Arthritis was still there. It is still there. I had a couple painful steps just today. So it didn't heal anything. And that's what it's advertised to do is heal. When you use the word heal, that denotes a cure. Right. Okay. It doesn't heal anything. It just masks the symptoms like taking Tylenol. That's it. And going back to the article that I found from the American Cancer Society, It says that in one study, people were given a placebo and told that it was a stimulant. After taking the pill, their pulse rate sped up, their blood pressure increased, and their reaction speeds improved. When people were given the same pill and told it was to help them go to sleep, they experienced the opposite effects. Mm -hmm. They experienced what they were told they were going to experience. This is why I honestly don't think that it matters that much when somebody walks into a medical marijuana dispensary and says, give me some weed that will help with this. You could literally walk back to that cabinet, hand them anything and send them home. And they're going to find that it has the effect that they want it to. Sativas are supposed to be more energizing. They're supposed to um, make you more aware. They're supposed to heighten your awareness of things. Um, I smoked a sativa earlier this evening and almost didn't get around to doing this episode because I was falling asleep on the couch. Yeah. So, you know, you could literally give them anything and tell them this will help with this and they'll think that it's helping with it. It's that versatile in terms of the effects and the perceived effects. And that's why I say, by and large, it's probably a placebo. Don't ask me why it works on my arthritis. There isn't enough science, but I keep using it because a it does and b i like the feeling of being high and it's over the course of the last couple of years it has swayed way more to the other side of the equation you know i don't think about the fact that i'm doing something for my ankle when i like that bowl anymore right because it's just a fun thing to do it feels good after a stressful day to come home and just sink into the couch for a little while you know, that's, that is most of the experience of it for me now. Although when I go for my research every year, when they ask me why I'm taking it, I say over and over and over again, arthritis, arthritis, arthritis. It's not a lie. It's just the easiest route to get that card renewed. Yeah. And that's it. So just the other half of that quote, experts also say 
that there is a relationship between how strongly a person expects to have results and whether or not results occur. The stronger the feeling, the more likely it is that a person will experience positive effects. There may be a profound effect due to the interaction between a patient and a healthcare provider. So, you know, you get a placebo from a doctor that you trust, it may actually work better than something that's handed to you at the ER by someone you don't know. That's, you know, our brains are, they're interesting organs, but oh my God, can they, can they really fuck with your perceptions of things? Yeah. It, they really can. I mean, they're defense mechanisms. They, our brain wants us to feel happy and comfortable and at peace with everything around us. That's when our brains work the best. So they try to work toward that end when your brain is in a normal mode. And, you know, anyone who has things like bipolar will say, oh, yeah, you know what? I've got a little bit of a different experience with how my brain interacts with me. And I get it because depression is pretty ugly and my brain forces it on me, too. Yeah. So, you know, there is that aspect of it. But, you know, in a perfect in a perfect environment, in a perfect state of chemical balance, your brain wants order within the body and it will deliver order to the extent that it is given what it wants in terms of, of stimulation. So the fact that we do this proactive thing of taking this pill that's given to us by someone that we trust, our brain then turns around and does what we expect it to do to our bodies. And that right there is a placebo effect in a nutshell. So what are some of the common niches for holistic and alternative therapies? Well, they revolve around things like nutritional supplements, fad diets, immunity boosters, cancer prevention in point of fact, um, other forms of preventive therapies, and energy healing. So we've talked about some of these things. Keep that little group of things in mind as we continue to have this conversation, because the next part, I think, deals with most of it, at least to one extent or another. And probably every one of these bullet points has been covered by it at some point. Yeah. I want to talk for a second about holistic therapies and multi-level marketing. Now, we did an entire episode on MLMs and why they appeal to evangelicals. Well, Multi-level marketing companies and distributors, people who are out to make the money with this, feed on the way some people think, and evangelicals are a huge target market for all kinds of MLMs. Some even go as far as addressing some of the spiritual objections evangelicals have about their products as a means of luring in the very people they know will be most receptive to their marketing. You don't have to be an evangelical to be taken in by an MLM, but the thought patterns, coupled with the ease of appealing to your sense of faith and belief, make those of us who were part of that religion prime targets. Now, as a former evangelical, when you are confronted, and I, I use that word very, mm. very deliberately there, when you're confronted with MLM opportunities, please try and keep a few things in mind, especially if it's about some kind of holistic anything, yeah. because that's one that they really, really, th those kinds of products, they will really, really tug at your heartstrings over. So keep that in mind, but also keep these things in mind. First off, MLMs almost never work. They only benefit the people at the top. It's just like anything else. Their products are almost never FDA approved. 
or whatever your country's equivalent is of the Food and Drug Administration in the United States, they're almost never approved by any kind of scientific body. There's no science behind them. It's nothing but anecdotal evidence. And the products are often marketed on platforms of pseudoscience with no peer-reviewed or otherwise documented data that proves that the products are any good or will do even remotely close to what they say they will. At the end of the day, you're probably just buying super expensive shit that isn't any better than what you'll find in a grocery store, health food store, or in a pharmacy. Lastly, all MLMs prey on people who are desperate and looking for hope either for their finances or for their health. Yeah. And they will lure people who are already up to their ears in medical debt yeah. to buy this shit because they will flat out tell them that it's a cure. And in way, way, way too many instances, they will get away with it. Mm-hmm. They'll get away with it for years, for decades, like forever. They'll be able to keep saying the same things because someone in 1975 took this thing and the tumor disappeared from their arm or yeah. whatever. And they, they'll ride that story right into the sunset. Yeah. But it's one story. It's one person that this perceptively worked for. And let me tell you, tumors come and go for all kinds of funky reasons. Yeah. With or without any kind of medical intervention, they come and go. So if somebody drank this kale juice or whatever the fuck you want to, whatever example you want to use here, they drink this thing and then within a couple of weeks, their tumor goes away. Now, all of a sudden, it's because they drank this shit. Yeah. Not because their body just decided it didn't want the tumor anymore and just dissolved it. These things happen. Yeah. Why they happen, we don't always know, but they just happen. But it probably wasn't because you drank kale juice. Okay, that's just the way it is. But since we've used the term a couple of times, I want to just look at the question of anecdotal evidence and just kind of pose the question, is it useless? Well, the answer to that is really a resounding no, because anecdotal evidence is actually the foundation of a lot of research. You know, you put people in a clinical trial for pharmaceutical product X, and it starts by monitoring certain body functions. You take all kinds of different tests so that there is data on paper of whether or not there are changes happening in the body. But it really begins with interviewing the program participant and saying, so how do you feel today? What can you say about your life now that you've been taking this thing for six weeks? Is there anything different? Do you feel any different? And All clinical trials have that element to it. But here's the thing you need to understand. It's an element. It isn't the foundation. And with a lot of holistic remedies, the anecdotal evidence is the foundation because they have nothing else. Anecdotal evidence is actually a very important part of the scientific process when it comes to figuring out whether or not a medicine is actually effective. It really starts with, how does this make you feel? Because if nothing else, it's going to identify side effects. Yeah. And the tests that they run on your blood and other body fluids and and the things that they hook you up to, to get the numbers for X, Y, and Z, the MRIs that they do, whatever it is that they're going to do as part of their effort to figure out if this drug is effective. They also want to know from the patient what it's doing to them. Because if they know what it's doing to them, they've got the hard data of what the tests are showing them. Mm. But they also know 
how it makes the person feel. And that's where you get all of the warnings about side effects. Right. Because people took this and this happened to them or they reported this. And you hear that phrase in almost every drug ad out there. Some participants reported or some patients reported. So right. it is important, but it is not the foundation. Please just keep that in mind. So as we start winding things down a little bit, I want to go right back to the American Cancer Society and look at just a few bullet points. These are directly from their website, and there is a link in the show notes, but I just want to go through these quickly so that it starts training your brain to think in the right direction about this, because if you're coming out of evangelical faith, you've probably had a lot of years to not think the right way about things like this. So let's start training those brains to get those, uh, to get those parallel thoughts in there that you can run to when the old shit starts creeping in, just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, be suspicious of any treatment that says it can cure anything. Right. That is number one, especially when it says that uh, they can that it can cure difficult to treat things like chronic fatigue, multiple sclerosis, AIDS, because there are things out there that make yeah. these claims. OK, we've talked about some of these idiots, especially Jim Baker, yeah, who sell their snake oil and say that it can cure everything from a headache to AIDS. You yeah, know? and the bleach church. Yes. Oh, oh God, yeah, the bleach church. We, uh, we did a whole little segment on, yeah, on them a little while ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. It's important to remember that any claim of a cure is unsubstantiated and has not been proven. Be suspicious of any treatment that claims to offer benefits that don't have side effects. You see, those really appeal to people because right. people don't like side effects, especially when those side effects are particularly unpleasant. There's a segment of the population that won't get the COVID vaccine because they've heard the word side effects. They've heard, yeah. the, they've heard the phrase side effects. So they won't get it because they don't want the side effects. Mm. So... When a company wants to market a certain type of quote-unquote cure, one of the easiest ways to lure people in is to say that there are no side effects. Mm. And according to the American Cancer Society, you need to be very, very leery of any treatment that claims to have no side effects because even herbs and vitamins have possible side effects. And like I mentioned previously, can also fuck with chemotherapy right. and other things like dialysis. Be suspicious of promoters who attack the medical or scientific community, just like your pastor probably used to, mm. or who tell you not to use standard or traditional medical treatment like your bestie sitting in the pew next to you might have told you. Right. Beware of treatments you can get in only one clinic, especially mm -hmm. if that clinic is in a country with less strict patient protection laws than those in the United States. There are people who will travel halfway around the world for a miracle cure to cancer. Yeah. And this one is specific to cancer, but I'm certain that there are other things oh, that yeah. people have, they've, they've remortgaged their homes to be able mm -hmm. to participate in. And it's nothing but a big placebo right. or worse. Beware of terms such as scientific breakthrough, miracle cure, secret ingredient, and ancient remedy. In marketing terms, we would call these phrases clickbait. Yes. And most of the time, there is nothing to substantiate the claims that they're making, these inflated claims that they're making. 
find out about the training and education of anyone supporting the treatment or using it to treat you. Being a Reiki master teacher does right. not qualify you to cure cancer. No. Okay? Even when I was receiving Reiki treatments, I had to sign a form stating that I understood that I should not be forsaking traditional medical treatment right. in favor of this. They made me sign a form before I got on that table. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and those, those are the reputable ones. Those are the ones that at least believe in what they're doing. But there are plenty out there who don't, who will just, you know, that they, they don't care what the effect is on the patient or whether or not someone's throwing their life away so long as the money gets paid before the person dies. That's really all they care about. Find out whether scientific studies or clinical trials have studied a specific treatment in people, not just animals. They make it very specific that human trials are necessary and what side effects have been reported. Find out if the treatment could harm you or interact badly with your other medicines or supplements. Learn whether the findings have been published in trustworthy journals after being reviewed by other scientists who are experts in the same field or if they have been promoted only in the mass media, such as books, magazines, the internet, TV, Dr. Oz. You know, I think I think there's if if I still believed in hell, I'd say there's a 10th circle in hell that has been created just for this guy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Infomercials, radio talk shows, you, you, you get the idea here. Yeah. And that right there is a pretty exhaustive list. And every last one of those bullets is a good direction to start steering your brain when you're thinking about this stuff and help you start thinking about it in very practical terms. Now I want to talk to our ex-evangelical friends in particular about this, just as we close things out. Do not be taken in by the mystique of holistic remedies. There is no such thing as a miracle cure for anything. Please keep that in mind. Don't think that just because your pastor used to decry something that it somehow secretly works. As I said earlier, it is possible to warn against the right things for the wrong reasons. So just because your pastor said that it was bad doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. Yeah. Don't take anything for granted. And just like we said a minute ago, no side effects is a red flag. It's a huge red flag. Research things like supplements, topicals, and particularly nutritionally based therapies from a neutral perspective. Mm -hmm. Don't go out there with confirmation bias and look for articles that agree that this works. Look for scientific sources that will tell you objectively whether or not it could because any reputable source is not going to say definitively one way or another that something works if there isn't hard science behind it. But you can find information about whether or not it's possible that it can at least help you a little bit. So go out there and do the right kind of research. Don't go out there looking for a specific answer. Go out there looking for the truth because it could be a matter of life and death. The truth is not always comfortable, but you know what? The truth could also save you thousands of dollars on snake oil, too. Yeah. So there is that. Mm. And let's try and remember that crystals are rocks. Yeah. They have no power. They're just pretty. They're just pretty. Essential oils, they're, they're just they're stuff that was squeezed out of plants. That's yeah. it. 
they don't have any special powers either. Although there can be certain um, certain applications yeah. for those things that are beneficial, but in and of themselves, they don't have anywhere near the power yeah. that a lot of these shysters who tout essential oils would like you to believe that they do. So again, do your research and see what science has to say. Not some multi-level marketer that wants you in their downline. You need to know from a scientific source whether or not this thing that you're doing is actually going to help you. Because again, it could be completely innocuous, but it could also harm you. Um, and not just physically, it could harm your wallet too, unnecessarily. And not do any good for you whatsoever. Reiki, Shambhala, Reflexology, Qigong, and the rest of the energy healing spectrum are largely bunk and all have nothing greater to offer than placebo effects. Chakras are not a thing, neither is the chi. You do not need to align your chakras, irrigate your chi, or any of the other insanity that New Agers and other like-minded people would like you to think. And along those lines, you can't heal anything by laying hands on it or smearing it with oil, period. Mm. The ex-evangelicals kind of need to hear that one. Yeah, because do. those are the ones that they really bombard you with. Oh, yeah. As for things like THC and CBD, pff, jury is still out. We need more concrete science, and we will get it. What we do know about these things is that they legit cannot kill you. So, bonus. That's not just somebody's opinion. It's observable. You have to smoke a lot of pot, more than any one person could smoke in the quantity that's needed for THC to actually kill you. Right. So there is that. It can't hurt. The question is, how much does it help? And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, there's also nothing wrong with indulging in a little weed for no more grand reason than indulgence and yeah. because it feels good. There's no sin here. Let's get past the concept of sin and just have a good time and some good feels. It's perfectly okay, and it's reasonably safe. And lastly, as we close it out tonight, think of the process of vetting holistic remedies the way you think about vetting the things you were taught as part of your religion. The process is identical, and it's a great way to train your brain to think rational, reasoned, and informed thoughts. And I can't think of any facet of life where those concepts are more important than our physical and emotional health. Keep training your brain to think critically. It's a vital skill, and it's one that will help tremendously in getting and keeping you unbound. hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. <laughs>